I am the captain now. By order of the Peaky Blinders, welcome in to our spoiler-free podcast, breaking down each single episode of the 1920s family gang drama on Netflix and BBC. Today, I will be your host. My name is Josh Levy, and I'm Daniel Gilman. Welcome in to episode five of the fourth season, called the Duel, and we decided to switch things up for you guys. It it, it feels different, doesn't it, Daniel? It's like Freaky Friday. It is. It is. So we're gonna we're gonna do a switch. I'm gonna I'm gonna lead today's episode. One of my favorite episodes. Very intense episode. But uh, our rewatch continues with season four. Only have two episodes left, plus our season recap. Go ahead and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Peaky Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at By Order of Peaky. And as always, subscribe and follow so those episodes can go instantly to your phone. You don't have to search for anything, don't have to worry about anything. It'll go instantly to your phone. And remember, you can send us feedback via email at bootpeakyblinders at gmail.com or follow both of us on social media. We've gotten some great feedback from our fans. We uh we aren't perfect. We like hearing mistakes that we made. We like hearing what we what we do well so we can make improvements going forward. But as Daniel said, this episode is named The Duel. It got an 8.9 on IMDb, which once again, I think is not not a fair score compared to all the other over nines that it's gotten in the past and other seasons, but especially you know, this season. This season's had yeah, three exactly. nines, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's fine. It's okay. I understand it's a penultimate episode. It is a setup episode in a way, but there's also a lot of action. This episode was dated, was uh, directed by David Caffrey, who directed the last episode. So, nice little uh, continuum going on there to make sure that he finishes his plot lines and his story the way that he wants to in, a, in, the, in, in the way that he sees fit. And the, the description reads, Tommy prepares himself as the bloody battle lines are drawn between the Peaky Blinders and Chingretta. So that's, that's, that's an interesting one. It's kind of broad, very vague to, 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 to what that means, which, which we all know I like. And then it goes on to say, a deal is struck with potentially devastating consequences. And I think we all know what that, what that is alluding to. That's alluding to the meeting between Luca Chingretta and Alfie Solomons and later on in the episode, which, uh, which was a very interesting scene between Alfie and Luca. And Alfie does not hold back from even the scariest of men. He is sly. He's sarcastic. He he's he's talking to Luca in a way that we've seen him talk before. And uh, so that's that's what the uh, description reads as the episode begins, and we get a very different rendition of Red Right Hand. Uh, you know, setting up this shootout between Luca and Tommy, which is we go right into it, and we don't hold back. Josh, I want to say that you know you you interrupted my thirty minutes a day of uh, pure blackness, just in honor of all the people who are blind. So I just want to say that, like, at least for the next twenty <laughs> seconds, my eyes will be closed. <laughs> that was that was I was like I was like, what is he what is he doing right now? What what is his purpose of of uh, of, of saying this speech? Which I have it all written down. So later on in the episode, you all will get an Alfie impersonation out of me because the conversation between him and Luca Changretta is just captivating television. It is just phenomenal TV. And speaking of your Alfie, we do have some feedback. Carol on Twitter mentioned that Josh reading Alfie's speech from season three, episode six was awesome, just like Shakespeare. I loved, love it. I love to it. hear that from Carol. And, and I gotta thank I gotta thank Daniel for for pushing me being the supportive mother that he is to me, to pushing me to do the Alfie impersonation, which I didn't think I was going to have it in me to do because it was so long, but it was definitely my best Alfie. I, I, 
I went back and listened to the pod just to hear how it was, and it was my best novelty for sure. And then Rob on Facebook said that season three was really different from him. He enjoyed it, but definitely a different vibe. But he's also doing his first watch, so maybe upon a rewatch, he'll appreciate what we appreciate while understanding the plot. He said, so far, not my favorite season. I just started season four. The Russians are too bizarre. And I said, just wait till you get to season four. You're going to like it. And Rob said, oh, I just saw two episodes. I know what you mean. We love season four. This episode really was just three main plots. It was the shootout in the beginning, which was awesome. And then a lot of it was just people talking in rooms. You know, you've got the Alfie and the Luca. You've got the Tommy and the Polly and the Arthur. And then the Ada and the Ben Younger at the end. And so, I mean, the shootout, man, it was awesome. The shootout right away in the beginning of the episode. So that's, so that's, that's where we begin and a very ominous feel. Luca Cingretta kind of revealing his, I mean, his hypocrisy and his, and his hubris. He kind of thinks that he's, that he's unbeatable. He thinks that he can do whatever he wants. And we kind of see the way that, you know, he, he goes into battle and he, him and Tommy Shelby have that epic, epic battle proportions. Tommy point blank kills two uh, three three Changretta men, and so those numbers are dwindling slowly but surely. As we as we you and I talked about, that is now seven Changretta men that are dead out of the fifteen. So we have eight left. So just chipping away, chipping away. And this scene is very intense on many levels because we see the perspective of the commoners in Birmingham. The, it, this this is Artillery Square is what they call it, the the area that that the uh, shootout. Uh, occurs, and we see the perspective of these poor, innocent bystanders that have to watch this debauchery go on right in front of them. And it was something that I found parallels with Game of Thrones in the last season, when the when Benioff and Weiss they purposely had Daenerys Targaryen burning down King's Landing, and us, the audience, seeing it from the the people of King's Landing's perspective and seeing how mortified and petrified they are. And, just to see the monstrosity that's going on in front of them. And that's what I saw here. Those poor little kids having to see it. The old lady, Tommy, saying, get inside, get inside, get inside. And you see panic on his face. Like, he doesn't want any innocent bystanders to, to be collateral damage to this, but it's it's almost inevitable. It was cool how at the end, how Moss kind of yelled, you guys are all safe now. Rule of law has been restored. Let me ask you, This is I have three big questions from this opening scene, okay? So that's shoot, pretty much, shoot. I mean, you guys have seen the scene, so it's pretty epic. You, you know, the, the actual action part of it was cool, but let me ask you, the first question is, who do you think would have won if Moss didn't intervene? Oof, that's a tough question because once again, this is going to be, this is going to be my nitpick of the episode. They were magically missing each other from very close range. Well, they, they never, they never got a shot off. But they were like, there was, there was a point where they were very close to each other. And they were just missing each other. Like there were there 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 were bullets that were fired very close. Tommy got behind like you know the obstacle, kind of like if you if you ever play paintball, how there's those obstacles and you're hiding behind those. It was like a nice little uh, obstacle course. But there were times that Luca Changreta definitely could have gotten Tommy. I mean, and Tommy had the damn Lewis machine gun firing. That off, was awesome. And he still and he still wasn't able to get Luca. But I don't know. I I I think that Tommy would have gotten Luca because what we saw here was. Tommy's prowess as as a marksman. Yeah. And he was we we got to see how good he was shooting people through through laundry through through bed sheets and nothing really could have stopped. That was my I'll save it for nitpicks, but I'll just say I mean, why wasn't he a sniper? Why was he a tunneler? Why did they waste his talents down there? I don't get that. You, you know, you didn't really necessarily have a choice, I don't think, when you when you're called into war. No, I like remember they, they kind of assessing I remember you. Arthur specifically saying that we volunteered for the tunneling. In, in an earlier season. Maybe they, yeah. 
maybe they thought it was like a way of like not being like in the line of fire at all times. They maybe thought it was safer, but no, I agree. He's a marksman at, at his at his true form. He's firing these shots beautifully, and Moss comes in and saves and saves saves the day, and really lays down the law. We hadn't seen Moss really in a in in a in a while, and he really lays lays down the law to Tommy, basically saying, you know, like get the fuck out of here, like get the fuck out of here. And Tommy tries to pay him off and say, "There's three bodies that you need to clean up." And Moss is like, "No, I'm not taking your money. I'm not doing it for you." Like soon enough, this is gonna have to stop. He talks about how soldiers are are uh, are uh, coming in, into town and how the revolution's on the rise. So things are changing. And then here's my two part question: First off, have we had an episode of Peaky Blinders ever? start off exactly where the last one finishes off. I don't think we've ever had one before. There's there, like the true? second, the second that this episode starts yeah. is the second, the last one finished. That is, that is true. And that's something that's, that's, that's interesting to show all the stuff that's culminating into, into these fine, fine, like finite moments and how big, like the, like what's going to happen is about to happen. I mean, we saw the episode end with them at the boxing match. And I mean, I would, I don't think I'm giving anything away, that we're gonna, we know that the next episode is going to start off there yep. because you're right, almost exactly right. So it's like kind of three episodes back to back to back, all on the same timeline, which is which is great because it keeps you on the edge of your seat and it keeps you very very into it. But once again, what would Tommy do without Moss? Like he saved him on so many different levels. What would Tommy do without Moss? Do you think Moss saved Tommy here though? Because you think Tommy could probably would have killed Changretta. I mean, like we'll never know, and that's just me, like right. you know, assuming. But also. Just the fact that Tommy was outnumbered here too. So even if Tommy did get Changretta, who's to say that, that his other men weren't going to come out and kind of finish him off as like revenge for killing him and just we, we need to finish the business if Luca can't. But so it's it's very interesting. And then we uh, Tom, Polly tells a story to Tommy about the first time that he headbutted a policeman. So another uh, insight into his past. And she's worried about what he's going to tell Arthur about what just happened. Yeah, and. I- Polly, it's just she'll never be the same to me. You know, like I, I can't enjoy anything with Polly anymore. I couldn't enjoy her, uh, what is it, her picnic later with uh, with, with Abrama. Abrama. I, I enjoyed it my first watch through, and she was cute, and and McCrory plays a great little happy Polly, but I can't enjoy it. She's the biggest rat ever. You know, when when she's with Abrama later, and 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 Michael, she, they don't even talk about the fact. That Michael let Tom t- let Tommy leave. She just says you're now number two on his hit list. Michael doesn't say like I think that was a mistake in writing. Why didn't Michael say, "Hey mom, why didn't you fucking let me know that this was a plan?" Right. Like huge, fuck you. Huge hole. Huge hole in this plot, in my opinion, which is very frustrating because on the first watch, I was so confused. You don't even think it about it, Michael. Yeah. Right, because Michael never gives any pushback. Like any other normal, reasonable person would be heated as shit at Polly for not you know letting him in on the whole plan because Tommy reveals at the family meeting that just after you know you know Polly received a letter just after Christmas from from Luca Changretta offering to spare his her son up if she gave up Tommy which we all which we knew based off of their conversation at the bar and she gave Tommy up and then Tommy says that was all part of the plan that, that we agreed on he knew that Luca would want to pull the trigger himself so he used the setup as bait to bring him in and he says I didn't get Luca but I got 3 that's it that's what's ha- that's what happened and it's just kind of I, I agree. The whole thing with Polly is just very fishy. I don't understand why she, you know, wouldn't tell Michael the insight to the plan. And she basically threw Michael under the bus. And we can really talk about it openly now because we now know the implications. 
you know, of, of what ended up happening, the whole plan, the whole grand scheme. Guys, we've been waiting so long to talk about this, like that, that, that Polly fucks over Michael and Tommy's been planning this the whole time. Upon my first watch, I had no idea that Tommy knew. Even with the Black Star, I'm like, why is Polly letting Tommy know that there's a Black Star on this day? And then it all connected with the Billy Kimba callback and all of that. And it was, I mean, it was well done by Stephen Knight, but except for the Michael part of the storyline. Is, is, is very frustrating, and Michael's, you know, hiding out with, you know, the, the hideout that Abraham Gold and his people have for him, and he's complaining. It's funny that, you know, Michael, for somebody who just kind of got into this, you know, rags to riches kind of life, is complaining about his quarters that he has to stay out, st- stay at. He, he wants to stay in a nice hotel, and Polly's like, Polly's like, if you stay in a hotel, they'll find you, they'll kill you, this is where you're staying. Yep, and also I did the math, okay? So we talked about this off off mic, and Stephen Knight did a correct job, okay? So you mentioned that they had 13 Changretas, and you were wondering how they had five left if they really have killed seven of them, I, right? I thought it was 15 originally, and they killed seven, so right. there's eight left. But two of them, the two that Gold killed at John's funeral were not Changretas. Right. They were local kids trying to be famous. Mm, so there okay. you go. So he's done it correctly. Very small intricacies that actually really matter that you have to use your brain. Like Stephen Knight only wants to appeal to the to the intelligent audience. You really have to pay attention. You can't because this isn't a show where you can look at your phone and watch. It's just not possible. Put your phone away. I really urge you from here on out because the plot lines get very intricate here. And Arthur, you know, tells tells Tommy after the family meeting, you know. Your hands are going to start shaking when when the blood cools down. Let's go get a drink. And later on the episode, this was cool. I like that. It was cool, and it was interesting. It was kind of like a. It was like the. It was a very big brother moment. We don't usually see Arthur being that big brother figure to Tommy. It's usually Tommy trying to be the big brother. And Arthur, you know, Arthur was right. As later on, Tommy and Lizzie are having their conversation, and he gets the shakes in that conversation right after Lizzie tells Tommy that it's that it's that it's she's Tommy's up the baby, Swanee, which. which Right. Did we reveal that in Grace's Secrets or did we did we reveal that in last episode? I want to make that correction if we did because we talked about Lizzie being up the swan. No, but we knew it. Polly told her Polly told her she was pregnant. Okay, right, right. We didn't I was yeah, we didn't sure spoil we anything. Didn't spoil, now, yeah. Tommy didn't necessarily know that it was his child, but Lizzie's like, "Yeah, it was." And it was it was that moment where you thought you were fucking someone else and that was down by the canal, which means that Tommy got Greta pregnant in uh, in his own mind. So that's nice. Yeah, I mean, so we it was kind of interesting that she had sex with him knowing that uh, that he was th- thinking about a different person. And she's like – she's upset at his reaction. He's like – initially, he's being a huge dick about Well, he says all. he knows a woman that could take care of it. Right. Right. You know, get an abortion for her and get rid of the child. And also, he, he's concerned about business. That's it. Who's going to run me fucking office, he says. And I thought he was such a dick. But then later on in the conversation, as he gets the shakes, he says – You'll, he goes, you'll not go to work with a child of mine inside of you. And we, and we see that very sensitive and that very sincere, genuine side, which we got insights from last episode that Jesse Eden was talking about with uh, Greta Jirasi. So it was a very interesting scene because at first I'm like, what a dick. And then I'm like, all right, what a guy, what a guy. Um, and then he tells Lizzie, you know, all this death, fuck, let's have some life, eh? And Tommy says, I got three again. I got three. And he, he, he reemphasizes that. We haven't seen Tommy kill someone in a while, right? Right. And it's, it, it shakes him to the core because he's been trying to get out of the sporting he's, business. He's been as, a general. As, as, he's as a general, like Grace's uncle right. said. Right. And I mean, after, you know, ever since Grace passed away, he really gained a different perspective on things. He's still a savage, like a, a freaking savage, but he doesn't want to be doing the killing 
himself, you know? And it's funny also in this episode earlier in that family meeting when Charlie's like, Charlie can speak now, which is nice, which, which you learn. And he's like, he's like, you got three of what daddy? And he's like, I got, he's like three, three shillings for a horse that costs two shillings. And I thought that was funny. Yeah. A two shilling horse. I like that line. But I mean, we see Arthur losing it in this episode as well. And how many times have we seen Arthur, you know, who we think Arthur's coming around only to just lose himself again as he's going off the rails with a Tokyo. He's drinking a lot. He has a conversation with Linda. Linda's definitely concerned about what's happening with Arthur, but he's going off the rails and he's, and he needs Linda to tell her to, to tell him again, what she told him that morning to kind of ground him. Let's uh, let's talk about one of the best, the best sequences that when I was talking about earlier with, with Alfie closing his eyes and maybe the coolest music of the season. It feels fairy tale esque when Lucas starts to show up. You know what I'm talking about? It's it is very fairy tale fairy tale esque. It's like this was a very intense scene. They zoom they they have they zoom in on Alfie's hands, this tattoos, little intricate details. And this is this is one of the greatest scenes of of of, of the show, seeing very two different characters, you know, meet face to face. You got Luca Cingretta, the very serious, the very, you know, intimidating kind of guy, and Alfie who literally doesn't give a shit who he comes across and He'll say whatever the hell he wants, but this was this was an awesome, awesome scene. I don't I don't know what uh, you took from it, but I just saw pure great television. It was I mean these are the two most attention grabbing characters in all of in all of Peaky Blinders. I think right. I mean any time that Luca talks, you're enthralled, and every time that that Alfie talks, I am uh, I'm I'm addicted to the television, and and I could watch that scene ten times and catch something new every single time. This one, my favorite line was uh. Was Luca when he when he finds out what that that Alfie wants the rum you know pushed to to New York and he's like no fucking shit mate why else would I have you thieving my oxygen I love thieving my oxygen yeah, just, I mean I gotta start using that line I'm gonna go ahead and 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 start from from the beginning of this Do scene and, and and this is how it starts he has his eyes closed as we stated just like Daniel did at the beginning of the episode and he says he closes his eyes and he says my little cousin was born blind. As a result, I now donate a considerable sum of money to a charity which gives dogs with eyes to blind Jews. The chairman of the board recommends that those of us that were blessed with the gift of sight and that we spend at least a half an hour of our day with our eyes closed so that we may. We may have a better understanding with the doctors and also to increase our donations at that. And he asked Luca's guy, what time is it? I, fi- I found it funny how Luca's guy was keeping time for him. And he was telling him, he's like, he was telling the time, 29 past 8. And he says, right, 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 yeah, right. Then I have another minute to go, actually. But you can begin. And Luca Cingretta goes, I'm Luca Cingretta. And he goes, oh, yeah, I know who you are. Hmm. You are a bit of a failure. You come all the way over to this country in order to kill Toby Shelby. But, I mean, well, he's not dead, is he? And this really gets under Lucas' skin. He's like, yeah, grumbles. He's like, he's like yeah, groans. And he goes, right, hello. Right after he opens, he finally opens his eyes now. Now he sees him. He goes, right, hello. How can I help you? Um, and he goes, I have a proposition for you. Oh, no, no, well, well, Lucas says that. He goes, she, he goes, I have a proposition for you. And he goes, yeah, I do know what you want. But I want you to hear you say it out loud so I can check how ridiculous it is. And, you know, I'm not going to go into the head into the, to, to the, other, to the other parts of the conversation in detail. But he says, basically, you know, Luca wants Tommy Shelby dead. And yep. Alfie b- keeps on alluding to him as his very dear friend, Tommy Shelby. He just wants more money to kill a very dear friend. And Luca's like, well, you're not going to be the one killing him. And he's like, basically, though, I will. 
Yeah, and Luca says, I think this clown wants us to run his rum into New York. And I think he says that in, uh, in Italian because he's doing a crossover between Italian and uh, English. Yeah, no, it is in Italian and, and, and Alfie under... Because, of course, yeah. Alfie speaks fucking Russian and Italian and everything. Of course, he, of course he does. And he goes, damn fucking straight, mate. Otherwise, you wouldn't still be breathing my oxygen, would you? Thieving. I, Thieving right. my oxygen. Yeah. I love it. Because I have about 200 barrels a month. Yeah. Cleared by your people, distributed by your teamsters. And, and Luke goes, people want gin these days. And Alfie basically shows him the door. And he's like, yeah, trot on. There's Bonnie Street. You you can leave. And at the end of the deal, Luke accepts Alfie's deal. And Alfie, you know, adds on, you know, he goes, because Tommy Shelby like me is from an oppressed people. Then I need you to put all the ton on top of that because his brother is a fucking edible and he will come after me, yeah? And then you will need to put another 100 on top of that because, well, you're a fucking whoop, mate. And his face. There were two things that I noticed about Luca's face. His face there, he's like, oh, oh. He's like, no one's called him that before. And then the circumcised thing, Luca's like, oh, he almost like swallowed his matchstick. Yeah, he says we have to deal. He goes... You know, you better circumcise your Italians because Luca wants, you know, the Italians to be at the, the – the whole deal, long story short, summarized, is Luca wants his men at the boxing match because he knows that Bonnie and Alfie's Goliath are set to fight in this in this match. And so Luca wants his men on the inside, and he wants them to be passed on as, as Jews. And Alfie's like, just letting you know, you're not going to be able to just, you know, pass them on as Italians because Tommy Shelby is going to be able to know uh, pass them on as Jews because Tommy Shelby knows the freaking difference between two. So he tells them to circumcise themselves. And Luca, you know, takes a jab back and says, you know, it's funny because nowadays Jews are passing themselves off as Italians in order to survive. And it's kind of, a, you know, insight into the times of, you know, Jews being persecuted and anti-Semitism and stuff like that. So th- 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 that was a little interesting. Um, and at the end of the conversation, Alfie Solomons has the final blow and says, you just made a deal without any negotiating. Like, basically, I won. I added all these parameters. I added all these conditions. And, of course, Alfie has the whole entire deal written down already, signed, signed, of sealed, course. delivered by his lawyers. And I really want to know who the lawyers of this sh- uh, in this show are. We, we, don't, we don't see who they are, but they're doing a lot of work behind the scenes. What if it's Ollie? Ollie might still be the Ollie, lawyer. Ollie, we Ollie haven't seen Ollie in a while. But I wonder who Tommy's lawyers are. But, I mean, that was just phenomenal television. I think I did a great job of... Uh, of, of recanting it as short as I could, but... No, it was good. I, I do have one comment, though, because at the very end, when he says, you're going to come here and kill us all, I don't know what language he says that in. Because it could be the, Italian. I it thought could, it was Italian. But he, there was no... Like, we don't know what like what came of it. Like, we don't know if he made if he agreed to the deal. We don't know what he said. Why would he make a deal with people who he knows will just come and kill them I'm going to talk about that later. Alfie's my loser. I'm going to spoil it right now for you guys because he he blows he blows the load right here. It's I, I don't think he wins this conversation. I just, once again, he's a wild card, and I'm frustrated because he's, like, talking about how much he admires Tommy. He's talking about how brilliant he thinks he is and how, you know, he's not someone that you need to underestimate. But then he crosses him, and, and, and we think agrees to the deal with the Changretas, and it's frustrating because it's like, dude, how many different times are you going to cross the Shelbys? This and every is three, single, right? And yeah, and it's every single time the Shelbys trust him. Tommy trusts him. And I, I just don't know where the line will be drawn eventually, you know, if the Shelbys do make it out alive of this plan with the Chingretas, you know, with Alfie. Is Alfie going to be a part of business plans anymore? Like, he, he's, he's not, he cannot be trusted. All he cares about is his business and making a buck. I mean, I don't, I, I know it's a dog eat dog world out here, but there are only so many times you can trust this man. It was once per season because the second season was with Sabini. The, the third season 
was with the Econ Economic League, and then here with the Chancredis. And speaking of dogs, we do get a dog at the very end, the dog that's uh, checking for bombs at the, uh, at, the, at the boxing ring. So that was cool. I like, I like doggos. Very intense ending there with, you know, the, the music's building up. Johnny Dogs is taking bets. The Pinky Blinder, he was, he, was, he was great. He was laughing. He was excited. Yep, Arthur's offering Bonnie some uppers, but he says the lion's already out. And then uh, Abarama reveals that uh, he gets 20% of the, uh, of the cut if he gets a knockout in the fourth round. So that's, that's important to, uh, to notice. And then uh, speaking of knockouts, how many men do you think had uh, full chubs when all the Shelby women walked in? Oh, I mean, probably 85%, 85-90%. They were looking bomber. They're, they're looking on fleek. And it's it's it sets up episode six perfectly, and I guess the 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 other two scenes that that we should mention are the scene the scene between Ben Younger and Ada Shelby. Ada Shelby is kind of wilding out in the streets, and so she gets taken in and strip searched, and she's not happy about it. And we get this this mixed this mixed race Ben Younger. I, th I think he's mixed race. I don't know if he's pure African if he's if he's pure black, but he's definitely mixed race, and. He tells Ada Shelby, you know, we've done homework on on your family. We have a dossier of your whole family, um, and Ben Ben Younger has been given has been giving Birmingham by Churchill, which Tommy reveals to Ada later on in the episode. Ben Younger says that you know Ada is has is known to have been aligned with 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 the communists, and you know Ada goes on and on about how she was she was blind, you know, when she and it was 1919, which I th which I thought was interesting. That Ben Younger, you know, said was was the time that she was seen to be aligned with the Communist Party, and that was when she was with Freddie. And she says, you know, she was it, it was blind love, it was blind faith towards it. She didn't actually believe in it. It was just kind of like she was associated by marriage. So just another interesting interplay is we get a brand new character character in Ben and Ben Younger. Uh, he knows Tommy Shelby. You know, Tommy mentions that he was the only one in the cavalry that knew how to ride a horse. So you see that there's some level of respect between Tommy and Ben Younger, and then. And I don't know if you have anything to add on that scene. Yeah, just I just liked how Ada, who after was being basically uh, degraded and and stripped down, and and there were watchers. She goes, he goes, they will be reprimanded, and she said they won't see Saturday. And she and, and Ben Younger is like, wow, someone who's half naked in here in in prison is uh, is is give, delivering threats. And then she's changing, and he goes, can I turn around now? And Ada says, not unless you want to get blinded. So those are probably my two favorite lines. It was nice. It was it was it was corny in a sense that it was you know the the blinder reference, but I thought it was very very great. And Ada Shelby was not. Oh, I didn't. With I didn't even grades. correlate it. Yeah, but, I, didn't I mean, correlate that she and then Tommy reveals you know his plan to dine in with Jesse Eden, which he does eventually in this episode. They have a nice candlelit dinner with Charlie and Curly, and uh, Ada says to Tommy, "Tommy Shelby going to stop the revolution with his cock." And Tommy doesn't even like say anything. He's like, basically, yeah, I, that's that's my plan. <laughs> I mean, look at the deal he has. I, I mean, he, right. he's getting two million pounds for sending some military uh, vehicles up, out to the war. Right. He's been offered three five-year contracts to supply military vehicles to the British forces in India, Ceylon, Singapore, and Burma for two million pounds. So once again, Winston Churchill and and she she asked by who and. You know, when he says that Ben Younger has been giving Birmingham by Churchill and the King. So once again, Tommy Shelby is left to do Churchill's, you know, dirty work for him. And I mean, that's going to lead. I mean, Churchill's my winner. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Churchill's my winner. He, Tommy Shelby is his guy doing all the work for him from the start to right now. He's done everything he's asked. And it seems like, you know, he, he's not going to stop in doing that because Tommy gets the, the, the damn jobs done. So we'll see if he gets this job done. 
Tommy is his Ray Donovan. He's his, uh, he cleaner, he's he his cleaner, cleaner upper. I, I just realized this. Three five-year contracts. That leads you right up into the start of World War II. Because that's from 1925 to 1940. That, that makes a lot of sense, you know, doing that math. And it's interesting to see where we are now and where we might be in 15 years from this time. Where, you know, the World War II started in... Uh, in, in 1939 so just think about all the things that might happen up to that date if he has all these contracts with churchill and i don't think this is the last of churchill and tommy no no way and i and if you guys want to hear josh and i uh conjecture about crazy possible future uh situations in peaky blinders go back to our uh four point what is it 4.3 4.4 i think it was racist 4. secrets 4.4.4 where we were like thinking about we, prequels. we went ham <laughs> we went ham on uh, on all the possibilities of who will be fighting in world war ii i also love this line from ada when uh, after she said you know you're going to solve it with your cock she goes no strikes in the factory because jesse eden will be in your bed and what do we see oh man jesse eden and tommy making out but a very interesting pairing, which I which I did not did not think would ever happen, because I think they're from just two opposite sides of the spectrum. But they have a nice candlelit dinner, and Tommy's you know he's charming and he's spewing you know his stories and and making her believe that he's a soft-hearted gentleman when we know he's really not. At the end of the day, he's and, just horny. He, he's kind of horny. He, yeah, and he casts her under his spell, and they they get it on. And I like how he. Introduce, you know, Charlie as Uncle Charlie and then Curly as whatever Curly is. I thought that was hilarious. One of my favorite comedic relief scenes in Peaky Blinders history because Charlie's freaking out because the the, the dishes aren't set perfectly on the table. Curly's like, Should I should I go get a, the old gramophone in the in the garage in the garage? And and Charlie's like, No, no, no. And then of course they come up and and Tommy's like, Yeah, yeah, we want music, you know. Go go he's like, I don't want to go through trouble. Go through some trouble. Go through some trouble to get the music. <laughs> And, uh, and then the conversation starts, Josh, and, and I mean, we don't really have to dive too much into it, but I liked his, uh, his hypotheticals about horse racing and about which, which side he should be betting on. And he goes, you know what, let's just, let's just pick a horse. Let's call her Dangerous. Boom, green, you know, sirens go off because that's the name of his horse with May that she named. It, it is, it is indeed. And it's just another, uh, you know, full, comes full circle with, with these different seeds being planted. You know, when you first see that, you're like, Dangerous, okay, whatever, Flo- flies over my head, this means nothing, but... It, it 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 shows that it means a lot more to Tommy, you know, like the, the, these these very intricate things. So it was a very interesting scene between Tommy and and uh, Jesse Eden. It was a people talking in rooms scene, and then they got it on. But it's an important relationship that's being developed between the two because Tommy has his eyes set on the bigger picture, you know, not not just on the now. And even with Luca Cengreta, you know, as a thorn on his side, he's dealing with politics and he's dealing with you know, the Communist Party and things that are happening within Birmingham, the revolution. So it's like crazy to, to see that he has, you know, he's staring death death right in the face with Luca Changreta, and, and this is what he's also dealing with. As we get the ultimate cliffhanger at, in the last scene, the boxing match is set to start, and it's bad vibes as we see Luca Changreta's kind of silhouette entering that that blue neon blue room in the back somewhere he he's he's there we know luca is at the boxing match and we just see a a black figure and his hat kind of like you know on his head bent down and the episode ends and episode six is going to be crazy with what happens i'm i'm nervous watching this for like the fourth or fifth time i love it it's so good i cannot wait to break that down 
But I do want to I want to mention two more things from the conversation with Jesse Eden because I thought it was pretty important because Tommy starts to go into whether he could possibly be a figurehead for the communists and uh, and Jesse says men like you would terrify them and Tommy says would I change the odds you think so I liked that and I liked going into that and then the final thing before right before they kiss Tommy's choosing which song to play and they call back to the Blackbird song that we saw from last episode, which was the title of the episode. And Tommy says, Blackbird reminds you of your sweetheart, eh? And then he asks her, you ready? This is a stretch, but I'm going for it. He asks her if she wants a fast or a slow song. Does that remind you of anything? Oh, wait, I, got, I have it on top of my head, fast or slow. I don't know. It's don't when know. Grace asks Tommy if she wants a happy, happy or, or sad. sad. And that, oh. I, I co- there's no way that's an accident. No, definitely not. Happy or sad, fast or slow. I mean, I guess, yeah. No, it's not an accident at all. That's because there's no. I mean, there's no like uh, sad fast songs, right? So like slow is pretty right. much correlated oh, sl- to sad. Happy and sad, slow and fast. They 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 go uh, fast and slow. They they definitely go hand in hand. But no, that's it was an interesting conversation. Just keep an eye out for everything that's said in the show because you never know when it's going to be brought back. And there's there's a, a lot more significance to to a lot more things than we actually think on first glance. So Daniel. Who are who is your loser of this episode since we've already got our winners out of the way? Yeah, I think I actually told I said my loser, Alfie, already. Oh, right. Which, right. you know, because the the realization that Changret is gonna come, your winner is Churchill, Churchill, so they're both very, you know, London based. I also thought it was cool that countdown, when they counted down to when he could open his eyes, it felt super ominous. I, so I thought five, something was gonna happen. It was like four, three, it was weird. Two. Yep, and I want to talk more about Alfie in uh in the Grace's Secrets, too, so we'll hold that out for a couple more minutes. My winner is Sergeant Inspector Moss. Okay, I like that. I like that. Because he shit was, is good. finally, yep, his moral compass is finally back where, surprisingly enough, Campbell wanted it to be. You know, of all the people that was trying to get him to not take money from Peaky, and he didn't take money from Tommy in that opening scene, he yelled, the rule of law has been restored. He, you know, finally, finally stood up to Tommy Shelby, and he's my winner in this episode. Who's your loser now that we've got everything else out of the way? My loser are the innocent bystanders, uh, bystanders of the shootout with Tommy and Luca and, and Luca's men. These people trying to mind their own business, go about their day, and Tommy Shelby decides, and, and Luca Cingretti decide that today is going to be the day in their own backyard, right outside their doors and windows, to sh- to have a just an, a shootout of epic proportions. And we see like the the mortified and petrified faces of these innocent civilians. And I just feel bad. It's like you really don't think about just the, the the day-to-day regular people who, you know, have to be collateral damage and carnage to to Tommy Shelby's, you know, little turf wars. And so that's why they're my losers. I felt bad for these people. The little kids, I mean, imagine just these little kids are freaking out. The old lady. So Tommy tries to, you know, save them and get him inside, but before the little boy has to, you know, has Luca Cingretta grabbing him and asking where Tommy Shelby went, which he lied. He lied to Luca. So I he, love that. I was going right. to mention that. He's the only wh- He's the only one of those that didn't lose because he fucking, he's a peaky boy. Do you think, do you think that he was just like, like on his intuition was like, I'm going to save Tommy or Tommy was like, if the man tells you, ask you, ask you where I went, no. tell me I went downstairs. Now you, th- you think that was like on the fly? Yeah. Tommy's like Batman to these people. I mean, he, yeah. he owned, he owned those buildings. Didn't he? Aren't those, to- isn't that Tommy's apartment complex? I think so. I mean, we talk about the legend yeah. of Tommy Shelby. It's, I mean, he is a legend. Pe- people, people know who he is. So that was, that was, that was a nice little scene to, to have him, uh, you know, help Tommy to his advantage. So, I mean, that's going to wrap up this episode. We're going to head into our, into our Grace's secrets. 
I mean, we've we've already gone through our nitpicks basically, so I don't think we need to touch on those. So, I mean, uh, we're gonna go through uh, our our segment of Grace of Grace's Secrets where we divulge some spoilers for you guys. So, if you haven't caught up to this point, stop listening, turn it off. We're about to get into Grace's Secrets to uh, talk about some things that we already know that happened in this episode that we know has implications for the future. So, uh, I guess that brings us to Grace's Secrets right now. Everyone's listening, Daniel. We got to talk about a lot of things in Grace's Secrets here. Was I mean, where should we start? Should we start with Michael? Should we start with Alfie? Should we start with you know the boxing match and giving getting Alfie start with, giving him? Let's up? start with Alfie. So I mean, it's just it's just crazy to see Alfie giving up Tommy and 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 everyone else. And I didn't think that Alfie was gonna ever cross Tommy again, and he does. And we almost lose Arthur because of it. We almost lose another Shelby because <laughs> of Alfie. It's and then we see Tommy finally have enough and shoot Alfie in the face. It's uh, which happens uh, in this in this next episode, and it, it's kind of like it's like yeah, it was the last straw for him. He like you know he 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 couldn't take it anymore. As we said in this episode, how many more times do you have to trust this man? And it was the last straw for him. And I mean, we see him come back in in season five where you know. Tommy's asking for help again with for Alfie, and it's crazy that he even went back to him again. You see, these are the two things. So Alfie, to me, is Icarus because he just is too greedy. He flies too close to the sun. Any chance he can to make an extra dime or create you know, more opportunities for a business. Here, this, this one, to be honest, is probably the most um, like fortuitous opportunity because he can peddle rum into New York City. That's better than meeting up, matching with Sabini. That's better than having a Fabergé egg. This is the one that is, I like, this is the only one that was even understandable for me if you're Alfie, because this is one that could really, you know, jumpstart your your career as a, as a rum, you know, a rum, you know, a rum runner, distributor around the world. So I guess that, but, it, and then Tommy is just in love with him. That's that answer. I still think you can be in love with another man and it's not, it doesn't have to be sexual or romantic. Tommy is just in love with Alfie Solomon, so he's always going to go back to him. He's thinking about him even when he has no reason to. He talks about him with Oswald Mosley in the next season. It's a similar thing to uh, to the situation in the show Vikings. And I know I like to bring in other shows because I like to connect the fans who have seen these other shows. Have you ever seen Vikings? I have not, but you've talked about it, and it seems like it's a good show. Yeah, so Ragnar Lothbrok is a lot like Tommy Shelby. He's like the head of the of the Viking crew, and he brings in this this Christian, you know, Englishman named uh, named Ethelstan, and he loves him. He, he falls in love with him, not in a sexual way. He just loves his presence, and I think Tommy just loves Alfie, so I think that's just why he keeps going back to him. There's a sense of admiration for how they handle their business, and I mean, when I was watching this episode, I thought Alfie, for the first time, I thought Alfie was setting up Luca. I thought he was going to make Luca seem like he was on his side and then he would help Tommy because he was talking about how much he loves Tommy and how much you know he respects Tommy, how smart he is. So I thought it was going to be used to help Tommy by setting up Luca Changretta as another plan that Tommy was in on for bait to set him up. So I was shocked when I saw in the next episode that Alfie kind of screws Tommy and I'm still confused as to why he really screws him over. I can't tell. Maybe he's a little afraid of Luca Changretta and he, you know, as he said, like, we're all going to die. Like you're going to kill us all. Like maybe he thinks that he's just ruthless and that he'll kill him. But it, it was interesting to see the, uh, how the future pans out after 4.5 with Alfie. And I think something, something else to uh, give something to say. Yeah. I also just wanted to say that as messed up as it is, 
if you ask Tommy Shelby who his best friend is, he probably would say Alfie Solomons. Besides, like, you know, his family and Arthur and whatnot. No, his Charlie, best friend. Yeah, like, yeah, his, yeah. his non-family best friend. He doesn't right. have him or Johnny Dogs, actually. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, uh, definitely could be his best friend. And he, he does have a, have, have a love for him in a way. Not a, like, physical attraction or anything like that, of course. But there is, there is a love for him. But interesting that we also see Ben Younger in this episode. And if... And yeah, that's a cool one to mention. Once again, I don't want to, like, j- just... If, if you haven't watched all of Season 5, please turn this off. Because we see... Ben Younger blown to pieces in season five, and it's very upsetting to see. Well, it's not. I mean, like I, I didn't grow a, a huge a, attachment to this character, but I didn't think on first glance that Ben Younger was going to be this huge character that was going to eventually be with Ada and, and you know impregnate Ada, and it would be she would be having his child. So it's interesting to see how his character takes off. And it's all Tommy's fault. It's because Tommy pushes it too far. Tommy sees an opportunity to exploit someone with power, and so Tommy uses him as. Uh, you know, his his connection to be a mole, and that's the reason why Ben died, because he ended up pushing too far into Oswald Mosley's, you know, business and his line of work and all of the, you know, intricacies around him. So it's more along the fact that everything Tommy touches gets killed, and that's just more what, what Ada mentions in season five. But I I don't know. I think it's just, I mean, it's just cool to just see see when, when, when these, uh, like, love interests spark up, just like Abrahama and, and Polly have, have a scene here where, where Polly kisses him, but first threatens to kill him. I never thought that they would end up being where they are now, you know, wet uh, or well, wed to be. <laughs> yeah, and then and then he dies. And then he dies, of course, which is very upsetting. But I never thought that their relationship was going to, you know, culminate into that point. But I guess that's I mean, that's pretty much it, it with this episode. We'll save, you know, a lot of other stuff, you know, Jesse Eden and and what happens after the boxing match with the next episode. Let's talk Michael. Let's talk Michael next episode. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, with that, that's uh, going to wrap up this 4.5 recap. Keep an eye out for uh, 4.6, our final episode before we get that season four recap. We're reaching the home stretch. Don't forget to like us on Facebook.com slash Peaky Podcast or follow us at By Order of Peaky on Twitter. We love the feedback, as I said earlier, so please keep it coming on social media or by email at B-O-O-T, PeakyBlinders at gmail.com. Give it up for Josh, guys. He's Daniel. I'm Josh, and we binge so you don't have to. <laughs> Wrapping this up, guys. We'll see you on the next one. Past the bridge, past the mills, past the on a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand.